Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, everybody. A happy Tuesday to you, if Tuesday is the day you are listening to the Bauer and Rose podcast. If it isn't, happy fill-in-the-blank day. My name's Tom Rose. The good-looking guy's Gary Bauer. Our podcast is available wherever you get them. We're hosted by JustTheNews.com. And we are also honored, privileged, and delighted to be on SiriusXM, The Patriot, Channel 125. If you're a podcast listener, make sure and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an addition. Give us a five-star rating. Recommend us to friends and foe alike. There's there's so much going on today. Domestically, of course, we've got the New Hampshire primary, which uh, uh, proceeds later today. I guess the very first votes were cast at midnight in this tiny town that always gets media attention for seven minutes, one time every four years. And then um, I, I realize... Notch. Correct. I realize it's a... A bug in my bonnet, but uh, uh, major, major news out of the Middle East, a, a horrific uh, a day for uh, the IDF in Gaza. We'll get into that, but um, I want to I, I start by, I don't know, start by uh, Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis. You compare the two. I think this rise in support uh, for Donald Trump that we've seen in the last, 72 hours after what I will unapologetically and unashamedly call a very decent and very classy uh, campaign and departure from the race by Governor DeSantis. Uh, yes. By far and away the greatest, most successful governor in the country, a rock, rock-ribbed conservative, a brilliant, self-accomplished man, first-rate intellect, a passionate commitment to conservatism. I love the guy. I trust he's going to have a long and successful career in politics. He's only 45 years old. We need him. He's a young man. He's got a beautiful family. Three more years as governor. I just let me say quickly that if Donald Trump wins, which I hope he does, um, I, I believe DeSantis will, will be in the cabinet or have some other major role and be uh, and by that be elevated to the you know perhaps one of two along with whoever the vice president is of the leading possibilities in 2028. Now compare and contrast him if you will with no. Nikki Haley. I no. I know you don't want to. It's not fair to do that <laughs> because she comes out to be uh well I I will I will not risk the Lady friends, I have by using any kind of a kind of. I, I, I tell you, Tom, the more I hear her, the more I don't like her, and the more I'm convinced that she is the last gasp, and it may be a powerful last gasp of a Republican establishment that desperately 
wants to get back to the old losing Republican Party, the Republican Party whose whole job was to merely solidify the shift to the left, the previous left-wing government in America did. We then made that our new baseline, and we would twit our thumbs for you know a few years. No, I think there, there are two ways to look at this. Number one is Nikki Haley herself. She's weak. She's irresolute doesn't have a particularly strong conservative record. She's demonstrated time and time again. She's very easy to bully. She's easily intimidated. And as a result of that, she always tries to uh, uh, appeal to the left-wing narrative, to the liberal narrative. She did that yesterday by passing herself off as some kind of a victim. We're sick and tired of it. We're disgusted by it. I know she's a woman. She doesn't need to constantly remind us of that. That's all playing to the left. Her interview yesterday ad nauseum about how she was teased and laughed at on her bus going to school because she was brown. This election has got to be and will be because Donald Trump's going to be the nominee and he'll he'll please God get reelected has got to be about more, finally, than the personal stories of the candidates. We have a country that is on the precipice. I, I don't know how much longer we can survive like this, but I think the one thing it promises, and you can disagree, I think Trump will win tonight, even if he doesn't win tonight, because all the Democrats will show up uh, to vote. Our good friend uh, Bill Crystal has announced a major ad buy encouraging Democrats to vote um, in the New Hampshire primary for Nikki Haley. Uh, we are, I think, tomorrow morning, Wednesday. We're recording this, obviously, on Tuesday. Tomorrow morning, we'll begin what Newt Gingrich, I think, correctly uh, predicted would be the longest presidential campaign in American history, 200 and what is it, 90 days, 89 days from tomorrow until the general election, where Donald Trump will be able to focus exclusively on Joe Biden, on the Democrats, on his plan and vision for the future. If Nikki Haley had well, I understand it's too late now, the elections today, but if she has any grace in any sense, I'm not sure she does. She's going to find a way to get out of this race tomorrow. She's, although I will say the New York Times this morning, Gary, which you um, are too smart to, to waste your time and nervous energy reading. New York Times, uh, interesting, I didn't see this, but a major scoop did break the news that her campaign got a huge last minute boost last night by an endorsement from Asa Hutchinson. Well, look, I, I bet I you weren't aware I, of that, were you? You were not I, aware of that. I was not. But I, I believe that 60 percent of Asa Hutchinson's one percent will go for Trump and 40 percent of his one percent will go for Haley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, good grief, good grief, good grief. Um, I, I what does she her- stand for? What does she uh, uh, what, what she stands for, Tom, is actually quite. It's quite dangerous. I mean, I know there's still a lot of people that want to say, oh, she's really a, a nice lady. And, and she's probably I don't think she stands for anything. 
she she's probably the future of the party. I hear that all. Well, she's definitely the future of the party. I mean, that's what we need: a young uh, woman of color uh, who can you know identify with the new America. That's the way uh, Democrats talk. No, I know. Not I Republicans. Know. I mean, I'm being sarcastic. I know, and, and all the rest of it. But um, uh, look, she it, Trump is right. She's a globalist. When she dealt with her, her uh, governorship was was um, predictable establishment Republicanism governorship, um, whether it was how she, you know, how she handled the debate over the Confederate flag, uh, you know, the cow toweling, the groveling, you know, all the all the rest of it, uh, her. Um, yeah, you know, she really thinks she's got a great idea there. She's pushing on uh, on Social Security, and she's so furious that Donald Trump is saying, "I will not touch your Social Security." She says that's demagoguery. Uh, I mean, this is the typical Republican, you know. Uh, we I, how many times have I said it on the air, Tom? They want to cut your Social Security. Uh, they uh, they will go to the mat to to make sure billionaires don't have their taxes raised, and. Um, they don't much like you, but they sure want you to invest your son or daughter in one of their no-win wars. I, now, I think I you're almost giving her too much credit because I don't think she stands for anything. She'll go whichever way the wind blows. One of her successes, and I don't begrudge her of this as governor, she was very effective in uh, attracting significant economic development projects to her state. That's great. Uh that's an well, establishment from, from from China, among other places. Well, and Boeing. That's correct. And Boeing, much of much of whose outsourced work, by the way, does come from China. You're absolutely right. right. So it's that twofer. Right. <laughs> um, uh, and then, of course, I think she she ruined that by immediately joining the boards of these large corporations that she um, and her economic development board, whatever it's called in South Carolina, was able to attract. She invested heavily in infrastructure. All that stuff's great and good, but I don't think, I think if the money was for, if if her campaign money was for an America First agenda, she'd be an America Firster. If her campaign money is for uh, global elitism, it'll be for global... I don't think there's a there there. I really don't. And I've... She's a nice woman. I worked with her uh, for a year and a half during the 25 minutes she was our UN ambassador. One of the things that strikes me, (coughs) pardon me, is the media... Uh, a, a narrative about Tim Scott. Tim Scott's out of the race. He endorsed Donald Trump. I don't think he'd be a great VP candidate, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and Nikki Haley responded that she was very disappointed in Senator Scott because she appointed him to the U.S. Senate, a seat that he subsequently won based upon a vacancy. <laughs> that's, the, that's the argument that Trump makes about her. Well, no, I, but the media doesn't. Uh, But the media does. That's the whole point. She ditched Trump and now is trashing Trump. Trump plucked her out of relative obscurity to give her the United Nations position where she followed her brief reasonably well. She was pretty good. She wasn't sensational. She wasn't Daniel Patrick Moynihan. She wasn't Gene Kirkpatrick, but she was she was certainly uh, serviceable. He appoints her. And now she's trashing him 
And Tim Scott's never trashed Nikki Haley. Tim Scott simply said, we need Donald Trump. That's all. Yeah. No, I, I know. But uh, look, uh, she's I, I think I probably disagree a little bit. Maybe she would mold herself into whatever um, she needed to be in order to advance. But I think once she gets into office, she would default back to what she is, which I believe is a establishment Republican in the tradition of the Bushes and what used to be, you know, the Rockefeller, Romney, Scranton uh, wing of the Republican Party. Um it, you know, it's just, it's a party that, that is dead. And even the Bush permutation of it, uh, I believe is, is dead. I keep going back, Tom, that, you know, not, not only did uh, I, I disagree with George W. Bush uh, on whether he was really committed to fighting on the social issues or not. You, you, you ran for, our audience members who aren't aware and shame, shame, shame on them. Uh, you ran against George W. Bush. I did. And in, in a uh, Don Quixote type campaign in 2000. Um, and, we, you know, we I, I didn't trust him on Supreme Court appointments. He proved me right later when he tried to uh, appoint some personal assistant to the Harry, Harriet Myers. Harriet Myers claiming she was a staunch conservative. We, uh, and and you know, we ended up stopping that nomination, we being the conservative movement. And what did he do when he was uh, chastened by that? And, you know, they had to like bend to our will. He nominated uh, Alito. I mean, he got it finally, but right. we had to slap him around before he got it. But even worse than that, Tom, he and I screamed at each other in a, in a number of nationally televised debates over trade with communist China. That would, George W. Bush was falling on his sword on trade with China will turn them into America. That was his whole argument. And, you know, his his cousin or nephew or brother or somebody runs some U.S.-China friendship thing based out of Texas that is on the list of being a Chinese communist front group. Even today, a big family member of the Bushes runs a Chinese communist front group. So uh, this is the Republican Party, right? This is the Republican Party that thought global trade agreements were because people and money need to be flowing without impediment across borders. That's the secret to financial success. If you live in New York and Washington, D.C., and Chicago and Philadelphia and San Francisco, but not if you live in Columbus or Covington or Des Moines, then that philosophy, the free flow of money and products across borders means your sounds uh, main street shuts down. Uh, I was, I don't even know why I was doing it, but I was briefly rereading uh, Pat Buchanan's, speech to the Republican convention in uh, 1992. And uh, Tom, it's 
I, I mean, I know you had serious problems with him. I, I had a, a, a number of disagreements. Not with that speech. He, he was prophetic. And, uh, and the, the convention delegates loved it. But I'll guarantee you the donor class of the Republican Party and the people that really run things were horrified. Right. No, he was he was 30 years ahead of his time. A lot of the folks and you hear this, <coughs> pardon me, and on our favorite news channel is that uh, New Hampshire tonight is the last stand for the never Trumpers. I think that's wishful thinking. I do, too. Uh, what's happened is that the left, which controls our country, all the major institutions of it, is so out of control, persecuting political opponents, weaponizing the justice system, weaponizing the IRS, spying on conservatives, attempting to label and discredit everyone who isn't part of the left as a racist or a white nationalist. I think it's backfiring spectacularly. And the never Trumpers who won't, I don't believe, are going to get the message tonight and fold up their tents and go home. I think when given a binary choice, that's a word we uh, try not to use on the show because of the sexual implications now. <laughs> given, given a choice between two realities, Donald Trump and Joe Biden, Whatever you think of Trump's personal behavior, whatever you think of his tweets or his uh, sometimes bombastic comments or his sense of humor, which, by the way, I mean, I worked for the man for four years. He has he's a, a funny guy. He, he's 90 percent of the controversies around him is that the media intentionally takes something he means as sort of dry wit and they turn it into like when he said you know, before the Iowa caucuses, I know it's cold out there. It might even be life threatening. Even if it's life threatening, you need to get out and vote because it's the most important vote you ever make. Even if you end up paying the ultimate price <laughs> and he caught a pause, the crowd war. It was a headline associated press. I, I, Trump tells his supporters to risk death. <laughs> I mean, the, the, uh Whatever you think of all of that, whatever you think, I'm going to be a dictator for a day. Like he's really going to be whatever you think of all of that. Um, he's the only one, absolutely the only one who even stands a chance of fighting for the American people against this, this out of control government and the left wing movement, which gives him, I think, tremendous strength and a great last opportunity to begin to save what's left of our country. And I'll say this as a point of admonition. If Donald Trump wins a Ronald Reagan style landslide, the next morning, the fight goes on. This is not something where, and this troubles me a little bit because I hear it. I hear it from friends. I hear it in conservative media. If Donald Trump wins a huge landslide, the country is saved. No, the country begins the process of trying to be saved. The left is not going to give up. It's not, this is, it took us a hundred years, 80 years to get to this point. Donald Trump, as great as he is and as ferocious as he is and as, as prepared, unlike in 2016, this guy through AFP America first policies, we've got a bench that's about 3000 solid people thick 
ready to assume immediately non-Senate confirmable uh, political positions in the executive branch, in the bureaucracy, on the morning Donald Trump is inaugurated. And, you know, the, 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 the John Fetterman thing, I want to, I, I have to tell you, I, I wonder if Bauer and Rose must do what we so disdain doing, and that is maybe issuing an apology. Um, Wait, well, 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 hold on, hold on. We, we, first of all, we mocked this guy for two strokes that obviously saved his life because it took two crippling strokes for this guy to finally wake up to the dangers of his previous ideology. Now he's a border hawk. Now he's calling for strong border protection. Well, let me, I'm, you know, I he has poster. I'm just going to say he has posters of all the Israeli hostages in his office. He flies an Israeli flag together with a Pennsylvania flag outside his Senate office. I think the stroke could have been the best thing that ever happened to that guy. And I would encourage all of the major leading left wing Democrats in Washington uh, to take his prescription and have similar strokes. Well, there, there is a physiological explanation for what has occurred, Tom. Uh, scientists don't fully understand it. And I'm not being sarcastic here, uh, but it has been documented that uh, this happens, not regularly, but it does what? happen. <clears throat> Somebody will suffer a stroke. God forbid that it would happen to anybody listening or to you or I, Tom, but it is one of the leading cause, causes of disabling and death oh, of in course. America. And uh, But those that suffer the stroke and survive it, will sometimes come out of the stroke able to speak a foreign language that they've never taken a class in. Huh? Now, how do you, uh, how, right? It's inexplicable. How does that possibly happen? That somebody will come out of the stroke and suddenly they're fluent in French, but they never took French. I mean, we'd be different if they took French. Back in the seventh grade, and suddenly they're really good at. It. But no, and doctors go, yeah, I, I, I mean, the guy is capable of talking in French. This guy hit a stroke. He came out of it suddenly capable of speaking conservative, <laughs> even though he had never had a day in his life of being taught conservatism. He knows it fluently now. Uh, it's you know he had. And he could do it in French too. We, <laughs> we, we mocked him. Well, uh, I did not mock him. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're not to... we're not going to pull a Warner Wolf and go back to the videotape. Um, so we'll let Gary's statement stand. But I actually cautioned that mocking him was going to help. That him. well, that's true. That's true. But we did make fun of him. We did make fun of. I, well, I you know, know what? We made Tom, fun I'm of the Democrat. That's no excuse for you to get yourself confused with me. Uh, I I think I would love to go back to the tapes. I'm pretty sure. No, I no, no. We did say that. Way. And I'm matter of fact, I remember saying that. But on the other hand, we mocked the Democrat voters of Pennsylvania for for, for selecting. Yeah. Selecting somebody. Right. That appeared not to be capable up to the job. But meanwhile, he is speaking far more clearly than he ever did before. Oh, and my goodness. He should teach Biden speech lessons. Uh, well, not look, I think. John Fetterman's done one thing that no one has been able to do. 
he has made he has turned the border into a bipartisan issue. He's he's um, if if well, think about it. If we can capitalize on that and his ability to articulate, he was on Jake Tapper and Jake was befuddled because I think he was expecting, you know, somebody with sign language to try and interpret for him. But Fetterman says, how is it pro-American to let to have an open border where millions, tens of millions pour across, drive down American wages, hugely increase American taxes? We have kids in New York City public schools who are sent home because there are no place for these migrants to sleep at night. You have Chicago saying, please, God, get rid of them. We have no more room. It's a national emergency of the first order. These are his words, not mine. And if you have a quote-unquote left-wing progressive, remember, they went all in for this guy in 2022. They went all in for him. And now... I think he single-handedly has turned this border issue into a bipartisan matter. If we can capitalize on that, Gary, I think we could be in store for a huge victory, um, which I know you hate to hear me say for fear of creating complacency. Um, and it's a, that's a legitimate fear. But could the table be set for a Reagan-style landslide? I uh, I know um, you hate that. I know. I know. I mean, look. All I, right. Question I, withdrawn. I, I, Tom. I. I know. I'm this, looking this, at you, this, and you're no, getting no, all nervous, is, and you're flinching, and you you hate this. <laughs> no, no. But I'm getting ready to say something serious. This is. Um, I. I mean. I mean, hasn't it even about how far I'm willing to go? Um, I think the forces that we are battling are so committed to their globalist vision and their socialist, neo-Marxist. There, there was a poll that came out this week of American elites that live in urban areas. Tom, it, it, it is unbelievable. A, an overwhelming majority of them support rationing food and energy now to stop the planet from being consumed with global warming. They want to do it. They want to start rationing food now. Not their they, own. Well, that course. I mean, but you, I mean, if I told you all the results of the poll, Tom, this is a this is a life and death struggle. I still believe I, I don't even want to say it on the air. If you can imagine what has happened to people that have been real game changers in American history, what sadly is, has quite a few times happened to them. I think we all have to pray that Donald Trump does not have that happen to him. I I think the forces we are fighting, Nikki Haley has no idea who's manipulating her, what they're capable of. This, this they would is turn a- her into they would turn her into mincemeat. They'd cuisinart her. She'd be a deer in the headlights. She can't begin to stand up to this. The yeah, only I, I one is Donald Trump. I, I didn't want to go back to talking about her. I, I want to try, Tom, to, to to nail down this point. I know a lot of people in our audience or whatever the number is. I think they find this entertaining. This is not entertainment. 
this we have found ourselves by not by choice living in the Alamo in the final days or we're at little bighorn when suddenly it hits our general in charge that hmm the correlation of forces is not good tom these people are capable of anything you can imagine landslide election they would i, I don't even i don't even want to say the word of what they would do if they think that's going to happen. So this is what Charlie Kirk said on a slightly different way. We're 288 days out from election day. Way too much cockiness right now on the right. The DNC and their dark money network have a plan. The RNC does not. We need to hire 1,500 plus full-time ballot chasers immediately. If not, we're going to have a repeat of the 2022 red wave that didn't happen. Stop looking at the polls and let's get to work. And I will add, Tom, that when he's not saying this publicly, privately what he's saying would curl your hair about what we are facing. It's the same thing that Tucker Carlson is saying. And I will say it in my own way. If October 7th, as it surely did, rocked Israel to its very heart and soul, because even they had become complacent and could not imagine that their security could be violated in such a predictable way. What we are going to see and experience in the next 220 days is going to rock us to our very soul. Everything they are doing, the rhetoric they are using against him and against all of us, the things that are being said by powerful people, it all has one predictable outcome. Crazy people and not so crazy people killing people. And I think that is something we may see during this campaign. God forbid. But I, I will say this. If Donald Trump wins, there's no question there'll be violence because that's what the left lives for. They are uh, unmoored by any limiting principle. To them, the ends absolutely justify the means. Chaos is not... What's the expression? Chaos isn't the bug, it's the feature. We saw that in 2016. We'll see that again. If Joe Biden, God forbid, wins, there will be 100 million Americans who are very upset and very despondent. But you'll see nothing like what we'll see if Trump wins. Uh, and I, I don't know if this is a good time to shift gears because we're on a roll But I got to be in my bonnet, Gary. And that is, 10-7 changed everything. But nobody in Washington seems to have noticed. Now we have an administration, a president, that is hell-bent upon attempting to use his delusional, twisted, 
version of utopia into a reality that bears no relationship to him. Rather than attempting to use this reality as a means of developing a vision, Biden and Blinken and the rest, I'm talking about this Palestinian state crap, are trying to shoehorn a vision that's totally divorced from reality. Their response, their suggested response to the worst single act of of anti-Jewish violence since the Holocaust, the one-day genocide of October 7, is to reward those who sanctioned the terrorism, who applauded it, who defended it, to reward them with an independent Palestinian state? It's absolute, utter madness. In a, well, Tom, in a, well, I was just going to say... Correction, my the, only correction would be that, and I don't think it's a correction, but uh, it wouldn't matter who was president, in my view, on the left, or even a moderate Republican. Biden and Blinken aren't forcing this on Washington, D.C., and thus everybody in Washington's forcing it on Israel. They are reflecting what the entire diplomatic infrastructure of the United States and sadly, increasingly, the entire military infrastructure of the United States at its top. And all of American elites believe, which is the source of all the trouble in the Middle East, is not Iran. It's Israeli intransigence and the failure of the world community to guarantee the suffering Palestinian people a nation. Uh, um, it, it, this, is, you know, this was a live, uh, powerful movement in the Bush years. But now, now, I mean, in a normal world, people that were bent upon exterminating another people would be treated as pariahs by this so-called international community, and their rights would be considered forfeited, gone. Yet Biden's world isn't normal, which is why he's now insisting upon this Palestinian, the only route to peace is an independent Palestinian state. Tom, if you poll it, you know, the Democrat Party, he's reflecting the view of the rising Democrat Party. And as I said, oh, you you know, the the military planners, look, you know this when when Trump was getting ready to fulfill his promise and open the embassy in Jerusalem, he was not only getting calls from world leaders. He not only got the obvious call he would get from the State Department saying, Mr. President, this is a mistake. He got a call from the Secretary of Defense saying, uh, there's going to be some problems here. Oh, it was, I was in, I, this is, a, um, this is an inside Trump administration anecdote. It's not an anecdote. It's a fact. The final morning, uh, when, well, you know how executive yeah. decisions are made on a major, uh, proposed policy change, the, Various affected departments and agencies uh, uh, coalesce. They create uh, an interagency uh, task force, and the interagency task force is designed. It's run by the National Security Council director, who at that point was um, uh, H.R. McMaster. Um, 
all the agencies come in, they share their views, and the NSC director presents to the president the recommendations or not the views of the of the interagency people. President Trump called a meeting. I was there. I was a backbencher. I wasn't at the the main table in the cabinet room. All the major figures were there, the head of the CIA, the Defense Department, uh, the NSA, uh, our ambassador, our fabulous ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, the vice president, the secretary of state, um, the head of the Joint Chiefs, um, trying to think who else was there, a couple of other military folks. And then it was backbenched, and I was... was, uh, sitting on the opposite side of the room as I typically did so that I could catch the vice president's eye. Normally what happens is that if you're on the American side, you sit behind the Americans. But I was, I had a kind of a unique role. I had to sit on the other side so I could catch, I could catch, um, uh, because of my relationship uh, with the vice president, so I could catch eye contact and see what was going on. We went around the room. Um, the president, everyone thinks the president uh, is a blowhard and never listens. That's total nonsense. He's a great listener. So everybody went around the room to express their views. Uh, the DNI director, Dan Coates, was also there. I was struck by the following two. so much better now. Yeah. I, I was struck by the following two things during this very important historic meeting. Went around the room, every single person in the room. Uh, representing their agencies, representing their departments, doing their jobs, indicated to the president that moving the embassy was a bad idea. They opposed it. And they opposed it again for parochial reasons that made sense. The DNI director thought uh, it would put, you know, American human uh, intel assets at risk. The State Department thought these were all legitimate. The very final person to speak was our friend, the vice president. And he said, Mr. President, you've, you've, you've been very gracious. You've listened to us all. Uh, my position is as follows. I know you to be a man of your word. You promised the American people you were going to move the embassy and recognize Jerusalem. That was one of the reasons I was so honored to join your ticket. And I know you're going to do the right thing. And that was... I think that was Mike Pence's finest moment as vice president. Of course, I'm biased. Um, and the president later admitted it was all a show. He'd made up his mind. Oh, Jared was also there. Jared didn't speak, I don't think. Um, um, and David Friedman, I, I, have, I have to correct myself. David Friedman argued passionately yeah. for the change. But everybody else. And as uh, you know, on the outside, Tom, uh, groups that I was affiliated with and other groups were regularly going to the president and not that he needed shoring up, but saying, look, we'll be with you on this. We'll, we'll defend the decision. We're counting on you. Uh, I, I have a great memory. I won't go into the details, but of being with a group of evangelical leaders, we were meeting in town and uh, we got a call that he, he had some time to see us. And uh, these these folks said, you know, Gary, we're going to be in there X amount of time. Uh, We'd like to appoint you our spokesman. And why don't you use this opportunity to encourage him on moving the embassy, which is what I did. I got a great picture of standing right by the desk. He's seated at in the Oval Office, everybody else around the wall as I'm praising him for being so strong 
on the Israel-U.S. alliance and, and then saying, you know, Mr. President, you're not only defending Israel, you're defending Judeo-Christian civilization, Western civilization. I know you know, we have confidence you will do the right thing and all that. Can I just uh, can I just interject something parenthetically? Um, do you recognize how that meeting happened? I'm just curious. Something to do with it. I'm just curious. Do you think you know, anybody on staff might have? I what I was told was that um, he woke up that morning and the first thing he said to Melania was, "Why isn't Gary Bauer over here?" <laughs> <laughs> No, the political operation at the White House was pretty good. It had some, it had some weak points, but we knew you were in town. And um, I'll toot my horn since you never will. I got your rear end in there. Well, I, I thank you in my rear end. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I, I just something happened two weeks ago that I'd heard rumors about but that now is confirmed that blows my mind. It has to do with Qatar, this, this tiny little emirate in the Persian Gulf that has half as many people as Cincinnati, Ohio. Qatar, <laughs> is, not the, as nice. Qatar is the primary funder of Hamas. It gives that terror group half a billion dollars a year. It harbors and homes Hamas terrorists in the lap of luxury, Ismail Haniya, who's the leader of Hamas, has a reported net worth of $4 billion. Qatar is like that cantina scene from Star Wars. Every bad actor is there. You know, bump, 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 bump. Remember the yeah. opening scene from Star Wars? I've been in that bar. Uh, <laughs> every bad actor is there. They're officially welcomed and protected. Hamas has its headquarters there. The Muslim Brotherhood, that's now actively seeking the violent overthrow of the government of Egypt, the King of Jordan. The Taliban is headquartered there. Iranian agents, Palestine, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Hezbollah, al-Nusra, a.k.a. ISIS. They all have headquarters there, and we continue to court them as though they're the world's leading superpower, and we're half the size of Cincinnati. It's home to Al Jazeera, which is this... Cess- like Casablanca, right? I mean, every... That's right. You can imagine. That's right. That's right. The home of Al Jazeera, which pumps out this the pro-Hamas uh, propaganda, Qatar could free the hostages tomorrow. They could expel Hamas tomorrow and all the rest of the terrorist armies that they host there. Now, almost mystifying of all, and give me a second here. Let me, let me, let me set this up. Qatar served as a strategic hub for the U.S. for U.S. military operations during uh, the Iraq and Afghan wars, um, and since 1991, it's hosted uh, a big U.S. air base, the largest one overseas, as well as CENTCOM forward headquarters, from which we launch you know air sorties against ISIS in Iraq and Syria. In addition, uh, the Royal Air Force of Britain has a has a has a base there. Now, upon assuming office, Biden, for no apparent reason whatsoever, designates Qatar as, quote unquote, a major non-NATO U.S. ally. That's a huge promotion. They're basically now formally our ally. Now, what did we do just two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, in almost absolute secrecy, 
the Biden Defense Department renewed the lease at Elodade Air Base for 10 years in the middle of this war with no preconditions, no demands that they expel Hamas, no demands that they use best efforts to free the hostages, no demands that they stop housing terrorists, no demands that they use all their pressure uh, to stop the incitement of Al Jazeera, no demands they stop money laundering tens, if not hundreds of billions in Iranian assets, no demands for nothing, nothing. Last week after this announcement... Our ambassador in Qatar, the U.S. ambassador, publishes a letter in the Wall Street Journal celebrating what he called the greatest year in the history of U.S.-Qatar relations. What in the hell is going on? Yeah, well, this this I mean, Tom, this is the this is what a country looks like when it's run by people that think the idea that. Those in government should think of America first, that somehow that's Nazism. And so they get up every morning thinking about America last. And that's how the every policy they have reflects a disdain for the place called America. They don't like its history. They How stupid are they? They, they, they despise its people. That's why they're trying to replace its people with open borders. This is a totally predictable foreign policy run by these types of of people. Look, um, we're having a hard time dealing with uh, the Houthis. I I hope the Houthis will show mercy for us if we end up losing this war. Um, You know, the... Qatar has Qatar is. I gave you a long. Let me finish this. You didn't give me that long. You didn't give me that long. Go ahead. Oh my goodness. Oh please. Here we go. Here we go. Lunch. I had lunch (laughs) during your your exposition there. Uh, The uh, you you know these wars. One of the complaints by uh, American First folks is that these wars are bankrupting us, and that we we got to just we got to face reality. And one of the reasons the wars bankrupt us is that the war we're having with the Houthis right now, the weapons we have to use by the rules we have inflicted on ourselves cost incredibly more than the weapons they are using against the shipping in the Red Sea. But it gets worse, Tom, as you know. Not only is the American taxpayer paying for the weapons our Navy and Air Force is using to bomb the Houthis without hopefully killing any of them. That seems to be our goal. Don't kill any of the Houthis. That will just make them angrier. We're also paying for the weapons that the Houthis are using to attack the shipping because they're getting those weapons from Iran that the Biden administration supplied tens of billions of dollars to. So wars, continual wars bankrupt us. They really bankrupt us when we're spending and the weapons for both sides of the war. Okay, here, I bet all of that is absolutely true. I, my <clears throat> dumbfounded, jaw-dropping response to this Eludade base renewal with no preconditions in the middle of a war that Hamas is funding against our ally. They host also the Houthis. 
it just it it's it's the issue of common sense leverage. I mean, even left. I mean, think about it. All the great billionaires of our country are all Democrats, and they know how to run businesses. They know that when you are a three hundred and fifty million strong global superpower. And you're negotiating with the tiny emirate that has 300,000 citizens and is protected entirely by our air base because F-35s and F-22s and F-16s and all our top-of-the-line fighters are based at El Udeed. The Althani regime, which rules Qatar, knows they're safe. They're not going to be attacked. No one's going after them with 10,000 U.S. service personnel there and top-of-the-line fighter aircraft. And we renew the base with no pre And did you notice? No press coverage. Virtually nothing. Nothing. Because the media is is government-controlled media. I mean, we we could spend the next... We could spend all day. Am I the only one that's, I mean, are you not, you don't sound all that stunned by this. No, I'm not stunned at all. It's totally predictable. This is what not only the people like Biden do, this is what the foreign policy establishment of the United States thinks is managing a new world order. You, you, the purpose is to keep everything as calm as possible. You wanted me, you know, the, the State Department will, will be faced with uh, a battle going on between an ally of the United States and an enemy of the United States. What does the State Department do? Urge both sides to stop hostilities right now. They want the waters placid as they continue to remake the world into a borderless world run by international organizations where the common man day by day by day turns over his freedoms and his rights to nameless bureaucracies that will tell us how to live, when we can worship, what we can teach our children. Those are the important things, not what's going on in guitar. The important things is Control. We must keep control over mothers and fathers. We got to stop this homeschooling stuff. The children all must be in the government schools. The newspapers do not report this. This is not something we can get. I mean, Tom, it's happening everywhere, every day, all the time. Uh, That's why it's the Alamo. That's why it's Little Bighorn. We are hanging on by our fingernails. No, you're absolutely right. You're giving the 30,000-foot perspective. I, being a groundhog, am in the weeds and saying that the American ambassador, the representative of the United States of America in Qatar— There's a mistake right there. He's not representing the United States of America. (laughs) The government, the government of the United States in Qatar, despite the fact that Qatar funded— through Hamas, the terrorist murder of at least 34 Americans 110 days ago called 2023 the greatest year ever in U.S.-Qatari relations. Tom, the president of the United States, who is presiding over the shipment into the United States of tons of deadly drugs— produced in many cases in communist China, working then with the drug cartels of Mexico, killing 
tens of thousands of Americans will talk publicly about communist China and the president will say, we think we're going to make a lot of progress. We're very helpful. We're not competitors. We're not adversaries. We believe we can work together on the important issues facing our countries like global warming. He doesn't give a damn how many Trump supporters die of uh, one drug or another. You know, I, I, that's that's the heartland that, you know, the Hades with them. They're a problem. They're, they're in the way. Get rid of, yeah, we should thank communist China for what they're doing to those communities. We took their jobs and now in their despair, they're hooked on Chinese communist made drugs. What's not to like if you're American elites? You're right. I, um, I'm just, these people that are running the country, aside from being ideological opponents of everything you and I believe in and whose objective that they're quite successfully pursuing is the undermining and transformation of those values that created the greatest last best hope of man on earth, as Abraham Lincoln uh, would say, are also utter incompetent idiots. I mean, I'm hung up on this on this uh, uh, 10 year lease renewal for a terror state when the UAE would gladly spend billions to build a base for us there. Bahrain, where the Fifth Fleet is located, would gladly, they'd pay for the new base. They'd pay for it. And we extract absolutely nothing from this pipsqueak, terror-supporting entrepot of global terrorism that we protect with American life and blood and treasure. Yeah, well, Tom, this is why the American people have lost interest in continuing to spend blood and treasure when idiots are in control of America's foreign policy. (laughs) Absolute idiots that couldn't work at a lemonade stand. We're out of time. And it's a good thing because I'm about to blow my brains out. No, don't don't do that. Tom. Not, you, while, not while you're on camera. I can't take it. I just there's too much I'm dealing with already. Well, have a have a great day. God bless, and we'll talk to you in a couple yeah. days. Make sure and hit that subscribe button. Refer us to friends and catch us. Um, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And we'll uh, talk to you in a couple of days. <laughs> <laughs>